Hey, it's Darren Johnson, weekly newspaper podcast sponsored by the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press Newspaper of Upstate New York and Campus News, a student newspaper that hits colleges um, in the New York metro area. All right, so um, I thought I would do a, a real quick, you know, shorter podcast today because I think there's only like 40 minutes on this um, memory card and uh, I've been podcasting a good deal lately. I'm on academic break, so I have a little bit more time. And I wanted to do a podcast today on uh, boring stories that appear in newspapers. So this was, all right, here's what happened. Um, You know, and first we'll talk about whether such stories are even needed in the paper, too. You know, we could talk about that aspect, too. All right, so here's what happened. Um, Newsrooms grew. And they became more professionalized in the 1900s. And newspapers were the only media outlet for a long time in a lot of areas. And they were the only practical media outlet for everyday people, um, you know, who wanted to place like classified ads, for example, or, or uh, you know, small business ads or help wanted ads or even big display ads. But they were the media outlet even when TV and radio existed radio and TV were still out of reach for the average advertisers. So these newspapers were raking in a lot of money throughout the whole 1900s. So they professionalized and they grew bigger. And I'm talking daily papers, I'm talking weekly papers, I'm talking, uh, you know, community papers, you know, those types of papers. They, They kept adding to them. And I even caught a little bit of that. You know, I went to college in the late 80s, early 90s, and then got a job in the journalism field at the small town level. But I also would freelance for some bigger papers here or there. Um, and even a small town paper in a town of like three, 4,000 people could have a functioning newspaper with a whole office, and they made money. They made enough money to support a whole office of people and it was a profitable thing to do. So you have ads, they're coming in, and you, um, and you have ads what mean more pages to fill, right? Because you can't have a paper that's all ads. There's many reasons for that. But you have to have a proportionate amount of editorial coverage to go with the ads. So if you're selling ads left or right, your paper gets bigger, you can hire more people. And you need more things to cover. So journalism took a turn from being kind of exciting and, you know, those stories from the early 1900s where, like, Nellie Bly was, you know, going into the mental institution pretending to be a patient and writing the real story about how the mental institutions were were corrupt and, and disgusting, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, meatpacking plants and things of that nature were covered, and, you know, they were exciting. Um, But newspapers became bigger, more professionalized. You could have a variety of people writing for your newspaper. Also, journalism became a major in colleges, and, you know, some people who majored in journalism, and I I knew one when I was a... uh, a writing student in college and he went off and he loved to write boring stories and he's still doing it to this day I believe uh, those beats are hard to find nowadays but the boring story beat 
Um, and he liked to write the boring stories. So you had, you know, some people that might not have had, let's say, some college students haven't had the same um, exciting lives as the previous generation of journalists who didn't have college, and maybe they apprenticed and they came from the streets, and they were a little bit more rugged and, and uh, you know, had to fend for themselves a little bit more. Um, you know, maybe a lot of them served in wars, too, and, and that type of thing. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a tougher lifestyle, let's say, in the earlier part of the 1900s versus the later part. So newsrooms could have all types. They could have the exciting typewriters that would regularly land on the cover of a paper. And, you know, they could have the Lois Lanes, and they could have the Clark Kents. They could have the writer that, um, if you hear a noise in the background, it's not me, by the way. I have two dogs and one I'm kind of nursing back to health. He had to have an arm amputated, so... They're both kind of uh, meandering around and making noises. In any case, um, that's why I'm home too during the break. I felt like that operation, which was, you know, it had to be done. Um, the best time to do it was when I was in academic break so I could watch them so they don't, like, rip off the cone and start, you know, licking at the wound and that type of thing. In any case, there were Lois Lanes and Clark Kents. You know, some college students are frankly boring because they didn't really... They were brought up in an upper middle class lifestyle, some of them, and um, and they didn't have you know life experiences of someone brought up um, who had to struggle for a living. So, the newsroom could have all kinds of people in it. It could, and then it could have you know the fakers too, like the um, the shattered glass. Uh, his last name was Glass, um, writer who fabricated stories. You know those types of people, Jason Blair. And, you know, some even fabricated stories, and, and but you know, it sold newspapers, sold magazines. Um, so you know, there we had the dichotomy in the newsroom. We had the person that liked to be hunkered down or go to a meeting and sit there and cover boring stuff, and we had uh, and there was enough money to pay for both, and it became kind of like uh, rationalized by newsrooms as hey, we're doing a public duty. We're saving taxpayers' money by having someone stationed at City Hall, Town Hall, Planning Board, School Board, Zoning Board. You know, we, we have, um, we're doing a civic duty, and we're helping out, and this is saving people. You know, it's our responsibility. And, you know, before the web, no one could really count hits. Uh, so you didn't know how many people were, were reading those boring stories. Um but they existed, and I've written my share of them. You can go on the New York Historic website, and uh, if you click on Suffolk County, New York, where I lived for a couple you know, dozen years or something, uh, you can find a lot of my boring stories if you, you know, type them in. I'd say maybe one out of ten were not boring stories. It, that's just the way it is. So I found a certain art in it because I knew I had to fill the paper because that's the other thing too. If you're selling, you know, let's say 20 pages of ads, you should probably have 20 pages of editorial. So where do you get that editorial? Well, you better have some writers and they better cover things. Well, if the town isn't, you know, wildly interesting in the first place, there might not be that many interesting stories to go around. So you, um, you station yourself in town hall, city hall, wherever, and you learn to write pieces that on the larger 
I would try to make them as interesting as possible. And I found it a nice challenge, like doing a puzzle. It's like, how do I turn this story into something that's not sensational, but at the same time, the reader will read it from beginning to end. So if they're talking about parking problems on Main Street and it's not that you know, two people attend the meeting, you know, it's not like a, a meeting where people are outside the door. Um, how do you, how do you um, turn that into a story? Where do you find the lead? Where do you find the, where do you find the uh, good quotes from the council people? Um, so that aspect, you know, was something I took pride in. I knew I had a certain amount of space to fill. I would usually write my stories in a way where let's, I would know I had a lot of stories to do um, per week. And, you know, the boring ones I would save till the end. I would write the more interesting stories first, first so I can give my best energy to them so they could have the best leads and all of that. Um, but also I knew that the boring stories could be shorter based on space. So I turn in all my stories See, I have 400 words left. I could turn that boring story that I have um, into, I can, I could make it 400 words. Or, oh, I learned that we have 800 word space left. All right, I better stretch out that boring story, you know, make it as, as interesting as possible. So that w I would always save the boring stories for the end. Um, I don't like writing boring stories, but I get guilted. You know, I own the local paper in town, and I get guilted. It's like, why don't you cover town hall more? People want that. And really, do they want that? You know, that's that's one of those questions of, there might be, you know, a dozen wonkish people in town that want that, and they're very vociferous. But do people really want to read? Or wouldn't they go to the meetings if, they, if the meetings were that interesting? And also, our local boards around here, you know, I mentioned I lived on Long Island, um, now I'm in the country of upstate New York. They don't really do a good job. They're not, they do, they're, they do an honest job. They're, they're very honest. And there's not much, in, in that regard, there's not anything I can really dig up. You know, I'm not going to dig up widespread corruption, um, at this level. The, these towns are so cash strapped that if any of them started like, you know, buying new Mercedes or something, word would get around, um, so it's not, if there, if there is uh, malfeasance, it's probably at such a small level that, um, that it definitely wouldn't, you know, win a Pulitzer by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, you know, there's these towns, and the town boards, they, for example, and the village boards and other boards, for example, they do their meeting at, like, a round table, and they all sit around and they talk to each other. Now, when I covered other boards, they would have the tables facing out to the public, and it would be more like a little show, like the you know the the council people or whatever their position was, and the supervisor or whatever the main or mayor or whatever the main position was would sit in the middle, and there'd be like you know two or three representatives on each side, and they would talk and they could debate, but they spoke toward the public. So it made it more of a show. They were more mindful of how they spoke. They didn't mumble like, like they do at the local level, especially during the mask era of, pan, of the pandemic. They didn't mumble. Um, they would say what they were up to. You knew who was speaking. They had little nameplates in front of them. And you'd say, oh, okay, that's Joe Smith, councilman. So if it was a new meeting to you, 
like let's say you were cherry picking and going to a meeting that you normally don't go to, you knew, okay, that was Joe Smith that spoke, you know, or whatever. Um, you wouldn't have to, um, you wouldn't have to like, you know, do too much homework. It would be right in front of you. A lot of times these boards, when I covered them in bigger places, they would issue very detailed agendas and the local boards really don't do that. The, the agendas are kind of like these vague, you know, outlines that say like old business, new business, just Robert Rules type boring stuff. And, um, and then a lot of times the board would issue press releases before or after the, their meetings, which they don't do here in, in rural um, upstate New York. They, not where I am anyway. They don't issue press releases. So the press releases could help you clarify some things, could help you get more quotes, could help you, it could be a springboard so that you could ask the opponent um, if there's an opponent to an idea. You can ask the opponent. If there's like a Republican-Democrat thing, you could ask the other party, uh, hey, what do you think of this? And then you can make it more interesting. Uh, you could do some follow-up after the actual meeting. And usually the board members made themselves available. Now, I get it. They aren't paid a lot in the country, if anything. Um, I don't even think they get benefits. Um, they, it's, it's pretty much like a volunteer position in most of upstate New York if you serve some kind of council or something like that. So I get it. You know, there's not really the incentive to be, except, you know, for your personal pride, like if you get reelected or not. But there's not much um, incentive for them to be slick or professional or, or whatever the term you want to use is. Uh, so, and also there's that homespun nature where a lot of local people expect their... Um, their local representatives to be humble and aw shucks and not self-promoting. And that's great. All right. So, but I get, you know, the guilt treatment, like, Oh, why don't you cover our meetings? You know, you should come down. It's, uh, that's something a newspaper should do. Now I look through the archives of the newspaper I own all the time. They did cover meetings. They didn't cover the stories are still boring a hundred years later, 50 years later when I find them. And I try to cover them, but at this point, you know, here's what happened next. The internet happened so we could see how many clicks those stories get. And you're covering, you know, like a, a conversation about um, proposed sewage changes. It's You're going to see you only get three clicks. The social media algorithms don't promote boring stories. They want conversational stories. So, you know, the Internet happened. Second, the Internet also allowed town boards themselves to publish their minutes. So is the historical aspect really needed of someone going to a meeting, especially if the meeting doesn't have controversy and just reporting? Is that really a taxpayer service reporting? Okay, they voted to approve um, a 5K race that's happening in town. Does, is that, you know, is that really something that, um, that the voters need to know, the taxpayers need to know through their local newspaper, or could they just go online and find the minutes if they really care about the history of how this 5K race was approved? I doubt the town board's going to lie in their minutes about something as mundane as, as that. 
So the internet happened in a couple of ways. Town boards could promote themselves. They don't need a newspaper. And city councils or whatever don't need a newspaper. And secondly, uh, we see that we don't get a lot of clicks. So, and the alg algorithms don't push boring stories. All right, that's one aspect of, of the death of boring stories. Um, newspapers have shrunk, as you know, so there's not as much space. Uh, if you have less advertising, which is the norm nowadays, I'd say newspapers are down probably 90% if you really look at old newspapers versus today is the number of, number of ads in a paper. I'd bet they're down 90% in advertising. Now, that doesn't mean they're down 90% in pages. Maybe they're down 50, 70%, 50, 60, 70% in page counts. Um, but they're down almost proportionately. And that means you don't have as much space to fill. You can't hire as many writers because you don't have the revenue. So are you going to hire a boring writer or are you going to hire an exciting writer? If the, the two options are out there. Are you going to hire that person who just likes to hunker down and, and dig into minutes and you know write stories that are not really exciting? And also, it should be noted that someone who becomes a beat reporter and they become a regular in town hall, city hall, they tend to become chummy with the um, politicians. And their writing will always lack that bite it will never push the envelope that much because they're kind of beholden. They become beholden to um, the politicians for their stories, so they can't push them too far or else they'll find themselves alienated and out of that beat because the politicians won't talk to them. So they have to kind of be almost like PR people. And a lot of beat reporters get hired as PR people by the um, politicians eventually. I've seen that happen so many times. So um, it's, do you really want to hire that type of reporter? If you could only hire one reporter, is that the one you want? Or do you want someone who's going to maybe enterprise and write stories that are a little bit more exciting? And then you forego that, you know, that guilt that you feel for not covering, um, you know, a meeting of the uh, zoning board where they talk about you know, whether, um, you know, the Wendy should have a new, uh, a new parking lot, you know, and that five people in the world are interested in. Those five people might be very interested in it, but it's not going to sell papers. It's not going to get you web hits. It's not going to do anything for you. So that becomes the, uh, the question. And even if a paper could still, you know, this friend of mine that I know who still writes the boring stories and does the beat stories, I think he's guilt-treated treated whoever the owner of the paper was, which has changed hands a few times in all of these years. I think he's guilt-treated treated them uh, into keeping him all these years. But um, he likes writing those stories, never really moved up the ladder to an editor position, just has hunkered down, and that's what he does. And I have other former colleagues it kind of amazes me when I see people that I knew when I was in my 20s doing those type stories, still doing those stories. I guess it's the same feeling I get because, you know, my parental situation has been, I've been pretty much alone in the world for uh, since, I don't know, my early 30s or something. When I meet people in their 50s and 60s who still have their parents, um, it's, it's kind of an odd feeling. 
So it's like odd when I meet people that I knew 30 years ago who are still doing the same exact thing that they did 30 years ago. So for some reason my phone always rings during the time of the, uh, uh, when I'm doing the podcast, I have to learn to turn it off. So it's a call from Kingston, New York. So we'll see what that is after this podcast. All right. So, um, you know, it's, you know, there, there's, you know, that aspect. Uh, does the newspaper need to cover these stories? Now, yeah, if you have someone hunkered down in town hall, if you could afford that luxury as a newspaper, city hall, whatever it happens to be, they might encounter the occasional story. And, uh, you know, that's, that's more interesting. And they might either write it themselves or they might tip off one of your more enterprising reporters. Hey, you know, I can't cover this because I'm entrenched in town hall and I don't want to burn bridges. But, um, but you might want to know that this interesting thing is going on. And then the newspaper will send its more, its more lively reporter to cover the... Uh, cover the uh, story that's happening. So, hey, did you know they're proposing um, a nuclear power plant, you know, which is a much more exciting story? And then they'll send in the more exciting reporter who can write the story better and get it on the front page as opposed to uh, the beat reporter. So it's like, it's like the desk cop, you know, very rarely goes and makes an arrest, you know, that type of thing. They bring in the uh, patrol cop to, to do that. So there's that aspect of it. Um, the other aspect is, is no one wants to, if you're looking at it from an employment perspective, journalism programs aren't popular like they were. So those are probably down. I haven't seen the numbers, but I would guess about 50%. And a lot of professors tell me that the quality of student is down versus like 20 years ago because the job market is so poor for journalists nowadays. So a lot of people either they go into journalism as a major because they really don't know what they want to do or they want to do something writing related but not necessarily journalism, but journalism is what the school offers um, or their heart isn't in it or maybe their heart is in it but they don't have the talent level. Um, and a lot of times the parents talk the kids out of not pursuing journalism as a major too. So the quality is down from those students. And then I find it's hard to find students who want to cover boring stories nowadays. So I've even put the offer out there and they always say no. They say uh, to you know my college students because I teach college courses in case I didn't mention that. Um, and I say, hey, you know you can cover the town board in my town you know if you want. And they always say no. Or um, do you want to cover student government meetings? And it's rare to find a student that wants to cover those things. Or do you want to go into town and cover, you know, the town council or city council or whatever they call themselves? Um, and they almost always say no. They don't want to do that. They want to write stories that are more feature-oriented, maybe investigative, but probably more like explanatory stories or even solutions-based stories, stories that have, like, a lesson to them. They don't want to necessarily um, report on stories that are um, that are like more, hey, sit down and listen type stories. 
So where are we going to find the writers? Now, I propose it to my older. I have a bunch of freelancers and volunteers and such for the local paper here in town. And I put it out there. I was like, hey, would anyone like to cover town board meetings? Uh, and they all, they all say no. They all want to cover uh, more interesting stuff. You know, they want to cover people-type stories. And the readers, some the, the more vociferous ones say they want more governmental coverage and um that's great but i don't know if the if the bulk of readers really want that you know it might be nice it'd be a nice extra but if if i'm going covering the school board village board town board that means i'm not doing other things i'm not covering a story that might be more interesting to um to me and to the readership and, you know, something I'd put my heart in a little bit more. So there's that aspect, too. It's like, do we, where do we find the people to write such stories? And in my last podcast, I mentioned maybe AI could write such stories. So maybe that's where AI could come in and they could, a lot of town boards and village boards and such, they Zoom their meetings. So AI could just kind of write a story based on the Zoom. They could turn it into a transcript and then turn it into a story. And that probably would be good enough. So you know, he said, she said type thing, um, what happened at the, at the board meeting. And, and uh, I think that would probably satisfy the bulk of people. So, you know, boring stories, I think, are highly overrated by people in um, government. I think they don't really translate to the historic archives, so it's not like people will need to read them that closely. I think a boring story is always a boring story. So a boring story I wrote 20 years ago is still boring. Um, and maybe it's not the best use of the newspaper's resources, especially as they're transitioning online and they need the, the clicks. Um, but one, one threat to that is, you know, the, the alternative to being a beat reporter and covering um, meetings on a regular basis of a particular body is cherry picking. Cherry picking a story is when you go to the meeting only when you know something interesting is happening there, like something controversial. Like in my town of Greenwich, I never would go to zoning board meetings, but there was one where some citizens were kind of harassing, you know, based on technicalities, the local food pantry that their certificate of occupancy might be off or something. And so they brought it to the zoning board to, uh, to, you know, kind of uh, you know, be punitive against the, uh, the local, local food pantry. And, you know, it's, it's not, I think a lot of people saw through it that the people complaining were in one political party and the people who run the food pantry are from another political party. And eventually a lot of people showed up to this meeting and normally no one would show up to the meeting. And it had a lot of political repercussions, I think, in the next election when the party that is friendly with the food pantry and, and other entities in town, like the library and, and things like that, um, the school district, you can guess which party is probably more friendly with those entities, um, won in a town that technically is, the other party has the majority. So um, people are, you know, people in the middle, the moderates, are kind of getting swayed 
to the um, to a different party now when one party has ruled the town for such a long period of time. Now the other party is starting to win elections. So that's interesting to note too. So I went to that meeting when, whereas I normally wouldn't. So I cherry picked that meeting. I was the only local reporter there. I guess not enough people had heard through the grapevine that this was, was happening. Uh, but a threat is a lot of times when you do cherry pick, the um, daily papers will also cherry pick. So that's another threat to you know what's left of the daily papers, though, though those are greatly diminished in our area as well. So the daily papers will swoop in, and if you're just a weekly paper or something, they will come in, cover the meeting, put it on their on the web immediately because the, the daily papers, for some reason, don't seem to care about business models because there's no money on the web. I don't know why they're doing it, but they'll they'll do it and they'll put it on the web for free pretty much because anyone can get around the paywalls, and people will share it on social media. And it'll be all over the place. So by the time the weekly paper covers it, it is old news. And sure, some people only read the weekly paper and other people and not the daily paper. But it definitely hurts the mojo of why you covered that meeting in the first place. And the movers and shakers do read the daily paper if that daily paper had covered them. So that's a threat. You know, um, as daily papers shrink and slowly disappear, it'll be less of a threat. So it's a fine line. You can cover the boring meetings and be exclusive. Hey, we exclusively cover the boring meetings. Or you could cherry pick and try to pick the interesting meetings, but then you have competition because other people want those too. So where do you find the meetings that are um, maybe somewhere in the middle? Or where do you find like these little, these little tips like, hey, there's an interesting school board meeting tonight. They're talking about this or that. Um, where do you find those stories? Um, and that's, you know, that's where it is. But will boring stories ever come back to print newspapers? Probably they're gone. Uh, I can't see print newspapers becoming big again in physical size. And let's face it, the boring stories, even though we tried to, people tried to get on their high horse and say, oh, these are important for democracy. The reality is the boring stories always were boring and they were just space fillers and they would be of interest to eight or nine people and they would show the public, hey, we have integrity. We even cover things that don't make us money. It would be kind of a, a high horse that a newspaper can get on and say, we covered that boring meeting. But I don't see newspapers getting to that point where they could have such luxuries to hire the boring reporters and to be stationed in a town hall. And I don't even think they're that needed. You know, I don't think it's that necessary to make everything a beat. Um, I think a, a reporter could have their ear to the ground and hear when a store, when a town or, or you know, get all the uh, the public meeting notices and try to read between the lines and and make friends here or there who might tip them off to interesting meetings so that they're not wasting time and going to something, and then you have to write about. Um, you know, the basketball court getting a new, uh, a new paint job or something. And that's what you're going to have to stretch out over 400 words. Um, you know, because if you cover that, you're not going to have the energy to cover something better. So uh, good riddance to boring stories. Maybe AI can write them in the future. Maybe there'll be a web-only thing. Or maybe people can just go read their town minutes. and Or maybe people could, hey, maybe people could go to the meetings. That, that's a nice novel thought. All right, so this is the end of it. 
the end of this particular podcast, I'll be back. This is Weekly Newspaper Podcast with Darren Johnson. Find it on all the different podcast sites. Look for Weekly Newspaper Podcast, Darren Johnson, and search for it and then subscribe to it. And if you have time to rate it, please rate it so that it moves up in the queue um, on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so thank you very much for listening. Weeklynewspaperpodcast.com. Darren Johnson signing out.